After an accident, minutes matter. Your words and actions matter even more. You need help, and you need it now. This is David vs. Goliath, brought to you by Dolman Law Group Accident Injury Lawyers, a boutique firm with a reputation for going head-to-head with the insurance company giants and putting people over profits. This is Stan Geip with another edition of the David vs. Goliath podcast, and today our special guest is Mike Rose. Mike's one of the premier trial attorneys in New York City, and we've got a little bit of a, a new issue to talk about, and this has to do with some problems people have been noticing with IVF procedures being in vitro fertilization, and more specifically, uh, some issues that we're seeing with a company called Cooper Surgical that's starting to be on the receiving end of some lawsuits due to their product not apparently working as it should. Mike, can you introduce yourself for a little bit? Sure, Stan. Hi. Thanks for having me today. My name is Michael Rose, and I'm a trial lawyer in New York City. So, Mike, have you had much exposure to this issue with the Cooper companies and Cooper Surgical and what's going on with their IVF stuff? Yeah, so starting in about mid-December, when Cooper Surgical issued a recall, our firm has been fielding phone calls for the better part of the last six to eight weeks regarding potential parents and the challenges that they've faced with IVF fertilization, and in particular, the the Cooper surgical product. So, uh, you know, to bring everyone up to speed, you know, IVF is a procedure, if people aren't familiar with, couples who have difficulty conceiving will go through artificial means to sort of conceive the embryo or fetus. There's a few different ways people can go about it, but The vast majority of procedures have to do with harvesting an egg, putting it together with the the sperm, typically from the father or or male donor. And then once they create the embryo, they're going to input this or implant it back into uh, the mother for development inside the womb. My understanding is this particular Cooper surgical product we're talking about is almost like a bath or a chemical that these embryos are bathed in. And as you can imagine, the embryos are extremely fragile at this point in time. Not fetuses, they're just embryos, little, uh, you know, the cells have just started to divide. So from what I understand is Cooper Surgical created a batch of product, we'll call it the embryo bath to be simple enough, and it left out a, a key chemical that's necessary for embryonic development. So my understanding from uh, looking into this a little bit is that the batch in question lacked magnesium. Yes. So Stan, when the fertilization process, the in vitro fertilization process takes place, the egg is combined with the sperm. When that happens, then there's a solution that's used, in this case, the Cooper solution, for approximately a five to seven day period of time to try to get the embryo to what's called the blastocyst blastocyst stage. And the solution is meant to help the fertilization process. And once that embryo reaches the blastocyst stage, then it'll be implanted in the mother. So you're right. What happened here is that the fertility clinics that purchase the Cooper solution from the medical device company 
were having no success. So one of the fertility clinics did some research and discovered the fact that the Cooper solution wasn't working. And yes, it's suspected at this point in time that a key ingredient, magnesium, was either altogether left out or didn't have the right amount of magnesium, which was causing the embryos to fail. And they've actually, if I'm not mistaken, issued a recall on three different batches of this particular product, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And um, it's been estimated that as many as 20,000 couples or people seeking in vitro may have been affected by this. And to go a little bit deeper into this, I mean, for people who aren't familiar with in vitro fertilization or the different sort of motivating factors that go into a couple getting in vitro fertilization, it's not just the fact that someone may have to go through another round. Right here, that's sort of the best case scenario. People who have no problem producing eggs can go through another round, just kind of redo, right? But that's not necessarily an option for everyone because people come to in vitro fertilization from a number of different worlds, right? uh, Some people have problems with sperm, right? Some people have problems with eggs. Some people have genetic problems. Some people have problems with difficulty producing eggs. In a mother who's got no difficulty producing eggs and can go through this round again, they may have sort of a lesser amount of damages, even though it's severe and significant. There's some of these couples, though, that have had a difficult time producing eggs, or they've got eggs or embryos that are stored, and that when this solution sort of destroys the embryo or, or keeps the embryo from developing, Sometimes this is this couple's only chance at having a child or it significantly impacts their ability to have a child in the future. Yeah, that's exactly it, Stan. Women do have a finite number of eggs. And as they get older, it becomes more and more difficult. And like you said, males can have fertility issues as well. So we have clients who this was their last shot just to think about how a person could feel and and what type of impact it could have on a man and a woman and a potential family when they find out that a contaminated solution is what caused their last shot at being pregnant and having a child. So yeah, of course, those would be the most valuable cases. You know, when you look at this, most of what we do when we talk about injury law and suing people have to do with these injuries that are almost easier to conceive. Hey, I lost an arm. You know, I've got a herniated disc. I need spine surgery. And and everyone can look at that. When we're dealing with childbirth and the ability to conceive, a lot of times, you know, there's people out there that, that don't want children, right? There's some people that have made a decision they don't want children at all. There's other people who, on the other hand, have decided they do want children. Most couples eventually decide they want children. And it's one of the most important decisions someone can make in their life. And it's typically made early on. You know, most people, I mean, there's accidental pregnancies, right? But most people, when they're looking to have a child, when they're planning to have a child, it's not willy-nilly. It's not on a whim. It's not we went out drinking one night and decided we're having kids. We have planned this over a number of years. We've put different things in our life in motion. I've got a certain spot in my career. I wanted to reach this. I've purchased a house. I've done all these things to prepare for having a child. 
And not only that, I've got myself in the mindset that the rest of my life is going to be centered around this other individual that I'm bringing into the world. I'm going to have someone around for Christmas. There's going to be birthdays. There's going to be kids. There's going to be grandkids. There's going to be baseball. There's going to be football. As you know, Mike, I know you've, you just came down to visit your kid. You're down here in Tampa quite a bit. Okay. You probably know mine. You know, I'm going to leave work early today to go see my kid's baseball game. Okay. These are some of the best times of life. These sorts of damages, I almost feel like, how do you go about measuring what's almost immeasurable? This is what's called emotional distress. This is the result of what people go through because of the fact that they've been through the in vitro process, which uh, is emotional very expensive. And like we said, many occasions, it can be people's last chance at at having kids. And then when they find out they can't have a child because of the fact that they were unfortunately using a defective solution, what do they go through? How does that impact a person's life when they realize that they can't become a parent? because of the fact that there was a contaminated solution. A solution that, frankly, as far as what we understand, it wasn't tested. And if they had tested the contaminated solution, the solution that didn't work, the eggs wouldn't have been contaminated. And then the people who are victims would have had other opportunities to conceive, where now potentially they don't have any or they have less, And their odds of becoming parents are so much less. These damages we're talking about, I still feel like almost that they're so great, you can't even conceive how to put a number on it. I mean, you have to put a number on it because that's the way we compensate people in our judicial system. But, hey, if you took my house and my house burned down, I could give you a number, right? If you damaged my car, I could give you a number. Honestly, if I got a spinal injury, I could give you a number because we're talking past meds, future meds, wage loss, these sorts of what we call economic damages, right? And this sort of claim, it's more of what we call the non-economic damages, right? The, the damages where they don't have a price tag on them when you're coming into court. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Stan. How do you put a number on the fact that you've lost your opportunity to have a child? I can tell you, I'm sure you feel the same way. Greatest joy in my life is uh, watching my kids on the ball field, watching my kids succeed. Frankly, if I was a parent or a potential parent who this happened to, there's no amount of money that can compensate these people. That's my feeling. I feel as though these people have some of the biggest damages you're ever going to see because people don't live in the moment, right? We kind of say we like to live in the moment, but, but we don't, you know, we're constantly living with an eye on the future, right? If you don't believe that, talk to anyone who's two days before their week-long vacation. Okay, they're not living in the moment. They're not sitting here grinding through stuff on their desk. They're living on that vacation already, starting to kick the can down the road, looking forward with optimism to the vacation because they know it's coming up. Life is a series of events like that, okay? For people who have trouble conceiving, Like when I look at my future, it's hard for me to make a plan and think of something 15 years out that doesn't involve my kid. That's right. Right. There's a whole thing. It's a lifestyle. It's what you look forward to. It's your optimism about existing. It's what's happening in the future. And when you take that away from people, 
It's not just, hey, they can't conceive. It is now everything about the rest of their life is different. I mean, it's it's amazing the the type of impact, the type of plans, the type of changes this has for people. I agree with you, Stan. I having lived my life now with two kids who are both in college and trying to imagine that life without children, without having had the ability to watch them grow up. And you can think of families where uh, maybe they had a child and uh, they wanted a sibling for the child or a sibling for the family. And think about that kid who will never have a sibling. Think about all the memories that people who are thinking about parents are looking forward to and just being deprived of that. When you put it into perspective of stuff we're talking about, you know, Mike, when you go to a parent or someone who's planning on being a parent or myself looking in hindsight as being a parent, right, knowing what I know, if someone told me, hey, you've got two choices, you've got to take either A or B, A, you're going to lose a leg, B, you're never going to be able to have a kid. Right. Looking in hindsight, take my leg. You know, I would be better off for the rest. I'll be better off for the rest of my life with one leg than with no kid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's almost we have a system where it's easier to put a value on a leg, to put a value on an amputation than it is to put the value on the loss of ability to have a child or to conceive. But I think these damages are equal to, if not greater, than what you deal with on an amputation. I agree with you, Stan. Someone with a physical injury still has the ability, outside of a traumatic brain injury, still has the ability to think, to function, enjoy many parts of their lives. The ability to have a child, you're taking away a major part of your life and what People aspire to have children, to watch their children grow up, to have grandchildren. And for someone who doesn't have that opportunity, uh, that's a part of life that can never be replaced. And I don't know if you know the answer to this because you're a little deeper into these than me. But when I first thought of this, I'm sitting there going, "Okay, IVF, right? As a patient of IVF, you're going to get a report from the doctor. This didn't work. I just just didn't work. How are people supposed to know that their round of in vitro fertilization didn't work because of the Cooper surgical product? So that's an interesting question. So first of all, Cooper is selling the solution to a fertility clinic. So unless that information is sent back to Cooper, then there's no way for Cooper to inform the people that have been infected by the batch. It's on the fertility clinic who's purchased the Cooper product and used the Cooper product to inform the patients of the fertility clinic. So we're getting calls to this day where people haven't been informed by the fertility clinics. And they're recognizing that they had failed in vitro. They're seeing news stories about what happened. They're calling our office and asking us And then they have to go back because the fertility clinic didn't necessarily do the right thing and inform them. So then they have to go back and inform the or ask the fertility clinic, was I subject to one of the contaminated Cooper batches? 
So let me ask, when we go through a process in a lawsuit like this, are there situations where the fertility clinic themselves could be a defendant in these actions? So that's an interesting question, Stan. Fertility clinics do very important work, as you can understand. Certainly, we've talked about that today. Potentially, could they be defended? Yes. How could they be a defendant? If they knew about the recall, if they had the batch, and then they proceeded with the process knowing that they had a contaminated batch. If the fertility clinic didn't know ahead of time and it was prior to the recall, I don't think that they'll be responsible. And my just kind of sitting here thinking from someone who's not involved in this, look, if you've got something, let's say your fertility clinic and you see once we've got an embryo, we put this solution and we got a 98% success rate, right? And getting them to the next stage. And then suddenly we've got 10 in a row that fail. I would think that from a fertility clinic standpoint, that might start raising eyebrows going, why, why are we having such a low success rate? That's right. And that's exactly how this came about is that fertility clinics weren't seeing embryos reach the blastocyst stage. And that's what caused them to ask questions of Cooper. So if a fertility clinic could potentially end up becoming a defendant, I am sure that plaintiffs have attorneys, clinics have attorneys, defendants have attorneys. Do you think there's a possibility there are clinics out there who have just been told by their attorneys, and this is all speculation, I'm not saying we got any information on this, that, hey, keep quiet because every person you tell is a potential person to be suing you. Well, of course, when things go wrong, people tend to head for the hills. Companies don't necessarily do the right thing. So are there scenarios out there where fertility clinics may be holding that information? hoping for the best? Of course. And let me ask you this, in hindsight, having not seen fertility records, right? Like what I do, and I know you do on a, on a regular basis, straight up, let's go spinal injury. I've got someone who's getting an injection, right? Most of the time when I'm looking through the injection and the injection material, I'm not seeing a batch number, a serial number, this kind of thing associated with it. So in hindsight, you know, if we go back and look at, you know, IBF records, are you finding that the records are actually documenting what batch of materials being used? Or is it just how do you find out that in sort of hindsight that your failure was due to the bad product? The answer is two different ways. One is for potential clients to be obtaining their own fertility records, which we've seen because of the fact that this process is so emotional, so expensive. People who are involved in IVF tend to be very informed as far as what is uh, going into the process. So that's one way, is looking at records. And number two, as I said before, we're getting calls from people who haven't been informed yet. And so that's a matter of calling the fertility clinic. I do find it hard to believe, but I would never say never because we've seen horrible things happen time and time again. But we are seeing clients who don't know and are calling and inquiring and 
they're calling the clinic and then they're being told that they were um, a recipient of the bad batch. So for people who don't know or someone, let's say someone's listening to this and, and they just happen to find us on the Internet, happen Googling to see what happened to their IVF and, and it's starting to resonate. They're going, wow, that kind of sounds like something that may have happened to us. Do they just have a right to walk into their doctor and demand records if they want them? Do they have a right to their medical records if they want to look at them? Yeah. All patients have the right to request their medical records, to receive their medical records. I've never seen a circuit. Well, I shouldn't say never, but um, I would expect that any victim or anyone who's subject to do this, this situation or anyone who was part of the IVF process can obtain their records directly from the clinic that they were paying. So, Mike, in looking at this, if I'm a couple or I'm someone who's had an unsuccessful IVF procedure, we've gotten embryos and then we've lost them at that stage, what sort of time frame are we concerned about with this Cooper Surgical product when it was in use until it got recalled? So the earliest situation or earliest time that we saw someone subject to the defective batches was November 8th. Now, it could have been a couple of days earlier, but certainly early November and as early as as early as November 8th is the first date that we've seen reported as someone who was subject to the contaminated batch. And then the recall was on December 5th. So assuming that the fertility clinic stop using the batch on the date of the recall, then December 5th would be the end of the window. Now, that's not to say that a fertility clinic didn't necessarily become aware of the recall on that date. So there is the potential for the for a person or couple to have been affected beyond December 5th. But December 5th is the date of the recall of the solution. So if I'm a couple or I'm someone who's been involved in IVF, had the unsuccessful embryonic stage, let's call it, in the November to early December timeframe, it's definitely going to be worth me going into the clinic, getting a copy of my records and seeing if the Cooper surgical product, if I really was unsuccessful due to the bad batches. Yeah, so I would say anyone who was involved in in vitro fertilization starting in early November and into the second or third week of December, I'd certainly ask questions, look at my records. And I can tell you, having dealt with clients, having dealt with people in the past, it's sometimes people seem shy. Sometimes people are intimidated about contacting their doctor and asking for records or worried that the doctor won't like it or hold it against them. I'm going to tell you, absolutely do not worry about that. The medical records are your medical records. They're created because they expect someone to read them at some point. It's what other doctors will rely on. It's what a subsequent IVF procedure would rely on, and it's what anyone in the medical field would rely on when assessing your condition. So as a patient, I always tell people, be don't be scared of getting your medical records. Go out there and get them, right? You're going to be surprised sometimes at what's in them. Not everything is accurate. And that's with anything, but especially in a situation like this where you're going to be at such a loss, right? If, I, if I'm getting my shoulder worked on, I can tell, hey, it's starting to hurt. This isn't working. Dealing with IVF, 
it's what's going on behind the wizard's curtain. I have no idea what happens and how this is going after the process has started. Well, not only that, Stan, but people who were engaged in vitro paid the clinics for a service. And the clinics to provide that service spent money to pay Cooper Surgical. So in theory, the clinic should be eager for the patients, uh, the IVF candidates, uh, to have this information so they understand why the process failed. Now, what, Mike, if someone's listening to us and they're going, I, th- this is me, like this is resonating with them, they're sitting there going, I, I believe I could be one of these people, or they're past that, they've been notified by a clinic that this happened to them or this was the cause of them to lose the embryo. How do they get in touch with you if they wanted to talk further about it or potentially become part of the claims being made against Cooper Surgical? People can call our office anytime. So toll-free number of our office, 866-LAWS-USA or 212-779-0057. Or you could email us at info at hat, H-A-C-H, roselaw.com. Perfect. Now, you've started already representing people from this, correct? You've yes. got a couple of clients? Yeah. There are other firms around the country that are also doing these things, correct? That's right. They say up to potentially 20,000 embryos could have been impacted. That's right, Stan. So let's talk about Cooper Surgical. They're not a small company, are they? No, no, they're a multi-billion dollar corporation. So when we're talking about a company like this, Cooper Surgical, I want to say from something I looked at, generated between one and a half and two billion dollars in revenue last year. And the company itself is worth approximately $20 billion. Yeah. That's right. This is not a small group. They have made tons. They've made billions off of these types of products and almost, and I don't want to compare them to tobacco or compare them to opiates or anything else, but what you'll find at times, and in my opinion, I don't want to say this is fact, is that things get so big and so profitable, they take a life of their own, okay? Like, When you look at the opiates, when you look at what went on with uh, cigarettes, where people kind of had an idea this might not be safe, but kind of kicked it under the road. This here is a little different, right? Because we got three batches that apparently that's what it's limited to, correct? Yes. Okay. For a one-month window, right? Now they've apparently corrected whatever was wrong, right? Yes. Products were recalled. So in theory, they put an end to to this. But they've made so much money producing this product. They've made billions of dollars out there through this company, yet they didn't put something in place to test each and every one of these batches before they went out the door is is my understanding of the facts. That's mine as well. And it's just amazing to me that it's just another case of putting profit over safety. So when companies don't take their time, they're more concerned with the dollar rather than the folks that are that are buying their products. This is what can happen. And with a product like this, I mean, there is no more. I want to say, you know, I'm going to call it a fragile stage of life. I know people have different religious opinions and everything else about when life actually begins. Right. I'm not trying to make opinions on that. But when you're dealing with something at such a fragile stage of life where you know 
that if it's not perfect, the embryo's likely not to develop into a person, right? We won't get that child. When you're dealing with that kind of risk, the cost of testing these products compared to the cost of buying them, what they're making off them, almost at times can be, you know, seemingly negligible or insignificant. Well, and the cost of what the repercussions are for the victims. Like we said, you can't measure that. You can't measure the ability or the potential to have a child for a family. So to say that these solutions weren't tested in this circumstance, it's just horrible. And people point fingers at attorneys and say they don't like attorney stuff like that. I can promise you it's things like this, okay? Holding companies financially responsible for their mistakes, making them pay from the pocketbook when they get it wrong, which causes them to try to be proactive in other issues sometimes. In this case, they may start testing this product after they've been sued each time a batch goes out the door. They're going to need to make some sort of changes, but what's pushing the change is a reaction to the mistake. If we could get to a situation where companies would start being more proactive and spend a little bit of those profits being more careful and weeding things out on the front end, this stuff wouldn't happen. That's right, Stan. And, and that's the most important part of what we do, right? is holding corporations accountable for those actions. So the next time, hopefully people won't be affected. Right, there's a punishment. Hey, this is what you owe these people. This is what they should be compensated for what you've done wrong. That punishment also works as a deterrent. So hopefully this stuff doesn't happen in the future. That's absolutely right. All right, Mike, is there anything you'd like to add uh, before we wrap this up? What I'd just like to say is to the potential mothers and, and fathers out there, people who have been impacted by this, I'm so sorry that you had to go through this. And I know it's horrible. I'm sure it's emotional. But if you are one of those people, I think it is important that you take action. Because taking action, like you said, Stan, hopefully will prevent other people out there from suffering from the same things that you did. And I can tell you, I don't think anything is, is truer. And not just in this arena, but Mike, and I think those words, taking action is a deterrent to future harm. We see that in a number of different cases. We're starting to see that really big in the sexual assault arena. Hey, you know, sexual assault, you know, these things have gone on for a long time because they convinced the first people to stay quiet, right? They kept it quiet and that allowed these things to go on. Take action, be vocal. If you think something is wrong, speak up and find out, okay? You're the patient, you're entitled to their medical records. There's nothing wrong with you asking. Uh, the doctor shouldn't be offended and you should be entitled to those records. So if you get any question, don't hesitate to go out there and get the records. I'm Stan Geip. I'm with Dolman Law. You know where to find us at dolmanlaw.com. This is Mike Rose with Hawk and Rose. Mike, can you give them your website and phone number once again? Yeah, sure. So the website is unionlawfirm.com. And our telephone number is 866-LAWS-USA. Okay, so if you've got any problems, don't hesitate to reach out to Mike. Uh, you can also reach out to our firm directly. We work with Mike on these claims as well. But uh, Mike, thanks for coming out today. It's been a 
another episode of the David vs. Goliath podcast. And I really appreciate you showing up and kind of sharing your knowledge with us on this Cooper surgical issue. Thanks for having me, Sam. Appreciate it. This episode of David vs. Goliath is over, but your journey is just getting started. To share your story with us, visit dolmanlaw.com. That's D-O-L-M-A-N-Law.com or call 866-965-6242. The insights and views presented in David vs. Goliath are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. The information presented is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney, nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. Any case result information provided on any portion of this podcast should not be understood as a promise of any particular result in a future case. Dolman Law Group. Big firm results. Small firm personal attention.